Section 34 of The Perfect World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zoinkmeister Patrick. YouTube.com slash Zoinkmeister. The Perfect World by Ella Scrimsour. Book 4. The Perfect World. Chapter 16. The Perfect World. Many hundreds of times the Kaimo rose and set, and Ak Allen and his wife, beloved of all Chimerians, lived in peace and happiness. A son and daughter had been born to them, and now the time had come when Rorka had received his call, and through the sacrament of Sklarek Itata would make his exit from the world and enter into glory. My son, he said, the voice came in my sleep last night. My room was bathed in a wonderful whiteness when the messenger from Mitsor called me. When the Kaimo reaches the full for thirteen days, make ready, for on the fourteenth thou shalt meet the great white glory. I must now set my house in order. You will reign jointly with glory. I can safely leave my country in your hands. Father, said Alan. Must you really leave us? He was troubled. Oh, it's terrible. But why? said Clory. I shall miss my father, it is true, for I love him dearly. But how can I wish him here when his happiness lies yonder? I don't understand, said Alan miserably. Death is so sad. But it is not death, said Rorka. I am simply going away. That's it. You are going away, and you are never coming back. That is true, my son. I am never coming back, but you will eventually come to me. Why mourn? To mourn is selfish. It's no good, said Alan. I suppose I am of coarser clay. I can't believe that I could ever pass yonder through the sacrament of Sclerakitata. I come from another world. Suppose I die, oh... You don't know death as I do, but suppose it comes to Kimar through me, and afterwards through my children. Have no fear, said the Rorka. That day will never come. And so the last few days had passed, and Alan saw him enveloped in the incense, and vanished from sight. Alan marveled at his wife's fortitude. He had felt the knife of death on Terra. This glorious parting was so different. He longed to believe that he, too, one day would vanish thus, material and earthly though he was. And so Alan, the Rorka, and Clory, his wife, were crowned and occupied joint thrones in the land of Kimar. Their joy in their unity and the completeness of their life was a constant wonder to them. They renewed their joys in their children. Their life was almost perfect. Sir John was growing feeble. Part of the time he spent with Mavis and Desmond and part with Alan. But wherever he went, Masters and Xylia always accompanied him. Mavis's three children, and Alan's two, grew up like brothers and sisters. Indeed, their parents were all like one big family. Alan had not long been on the throne of Kimar when an urgent message was brought him, that Waz Mula humbly begged an audience. Who is he? asked Alan. He is holder to the key to the Hall of Sorrows, answered Eek Jesta, and sails the air bird that plies to and fro from Fijipo. I remember him well. Bring him in. Oh, noble Rorka, I beg a favor of you, said Mula. What is it that troubles you? You remember Arak the Miserable. 
Well? He has done a most noble thing, O'Rourke. A most terrible scourge has come upon the Hall of Sorrows. A fire broke out. How or where it started, no one can tell. But when I reached the place, it was a raging furnace, and the poor captives were beating against the gates in their frenzy to get out. The heat was intense, their skins were blistering. I landed safely and rushed to undo the gates. But even as I did so, great tongues of fire curled out and licked round me. See, O'Rourke, my hands are burnt, my hair is scorched. Three times I essayed to unlock the padlock, but the flames drove me back. Suddenly I heard a cry, and the rack burst through the flames. Throw me the keys, he cried, and his tone commanded, and I obeyed. I watched him as he touched the red-hot metal. The flames were fiercer than before. He never trembled or grew hasty. Although his clothes were in flames and the flesh burnt from his fingers, yet still he strove to open the prison door. At length he succeeded. Five figures fell out on the ground, burnt, and still. I called to Iraq to save himself, but his only answer was to beat his way through the avenue of fire. Minutes passed and he did not return. We looked at the poor, burnt things at our feet. Their souls had departed. But as we looked, their mutilated bodies disappeared. Then, through the smoke and grime, Arak appeared, bringing in his arms a burden which he laid at my feet. He returned again and again, and yet again. Five women's lives he saved, and he returned again to save the life of a pet animal. Then, oh, Rorka, he fell at my feet. His face was burnt beyond recognition, his poor hands useless, his body one mass of blisters. He and those he saved were brought to Hurmuri. The women are now in safety, but Arak says his call has come. Oh, my Rorka, this then is my prayer. His one wish now is to enter into glory, to the sacrament of Sklarekitata. Will you grant him pardon and answer his prayer? Alan was much moved. Go, return to Iraq. Tell him Miss Roth shall come and administer the sacrament himself. May I say that? Yes, where is he now? On board the airbird. He's in great pain, but I think I could get him taken to the temple in safety. See to it at once, my was. Hurriedly, Alan sent for Miss Roth and told him the news. He has purged his sins indeed, said he. So, with the rites of Sklareki Tata, Arak left Kimar. He bent and kissed the hem of Alan's garment, and sank back exhausted in his chair. And as the incense covered him, his voice could be heard murmuring, Great white glory, I come, I come. And so there is to be no more Hall of Sorrows, said Chloe softly. No, my darling, it's gone forever. Yes. It has served its purpose, but I don't think its omission will bring more sin into Kimar. I believe you are right, Alan. It was a terrible place, and sometimes I think the punishment was too great for the sin. A blue-eyed, curly-haired girl ran into the room, breathless and flushed. She clasped a doll in her arms and hugged a pink-cheeked apple. She was followed by a bright, eager-faced boy of twelve or thereabouts. No, John Allen, I won't marry you! she said. I am a coochie, and ipso rorca, and you are only ak. The children did not see the grown-ups who were hidden by a curtain, and their childish chatter went on unheeded. 
You must marry me, Akuchi. I love you, and Papa says that love is everything. The little maid pouted. I love you, John Allen, and I think I'll marry you after all. The two children embraced fondly and ran out of the room hand in hand. My wife, said Allen, don't ever leave me. Teach me to know the real meaning of Skrileki Tata. Teach me to believe. Clory offered her beautiful lips to her husband. Love teaches everything, my husband. Love is powerful. Love is mighty. Love will teach you even that. He strained her to his breast. My wife, my wife, I love you so. The terror of parting is always with me. Teach me to believe. You see, dear, even in this perfect world there is a grain of sadness, of earthly discontent. My husband, I have no fear. Listen. And from outside came the merry laughing voices of their children at play. In your children you will learn belief. Envoy. The time came when Sir John himself heard the call. Half believing, half fearing, he bade farewell. The prayers were said, the incense rose about him, and he, like the Jovians themselves, was taken to the great white glory and was seen no more. And in that moment, Alan believed and was content. My wife, he cried, no longer is there any sadness in my life. I believe. Jovians we have become in body and in soul. I no longer fear death. And hand in hand they sat, married lovers ever, and watched their children at play. The End End of Chapter 16, The Perfect World Recording by Zoinkmeister Patrick YouTube.com slash Zoinkmeister End of The Perfect World by Ella Scrimsauer